I would love it. I planned that for him, but I didn't. How's everybody today? Praise the Lord. If you want to go ahead and stand, we do have a great day in the Lord plans. Good to see everybody. We do have one verse of scripture out of Psalm uh, chapter 147, uh, verse 1. It says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. And it is good for us to sing praises to him because he's worthy. Amen. Uh, we're going to have a great day in the Lord, and I hope you've come prepared. I hope you've already prepared your hearts to hear from him because uh, he, he wants to have church with you today. Okay? All right, let's pray. Dear God, we love you. Thank you for everything you do for us. And I, do really ho- I really do hope that is our desire to God, that we want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. We want to just have your Holy Spirit uh, just inhabit the praise of his people. And we want your Holy Spirit to teach us as well, dear God, as only you can. Lord, we give this time to you. Uh, we just want to lift your name up because you're worthy of that. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, oh. 
Thankful for that blood. Give it praise.
If I told you my story, then you would hear love that never gave up. Yes. And if I told you my story, then you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I And if I told you my story, you would hear freedom that was one for me. And if I told you my story, you would hear life overcome the grave. If I should speak. I'm thankful that our story can become his story. Amen. 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 Lord, we love you. I'm just so thankful. 
And one day you save my soldier, God. I pray that if somebody here doesn't know you in the free pardon of sin, that they don't have that assurance, that they don't know your story. Uh, I pray that they hear that today and they respond accordingly. Lord, we love you and I'm just thankful for this, this body of believers that you brought together. I pray that uh, you just give us everything that we need today through your word. We love you and all these things we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Guys, if you will, say hi to the people around you. Uh, thanks for coming today. we call empty it's hidden underneath the distractions we pile on it and the love for things that will never love us back Deep in the heart, there's a place we call empty. It's hidden underneath the distractions we pile on it and the love for things that will never love us back. But beneath all those things is the empty. As hard as we try, we can never fill that space. Then one day, Jesus walked right up to our empty, knocked on the door of our despair dared to stare into the dark hole that we didn't have the courage to look at ourselves. He didn't flinch. He stepped into it, then filled it with his resurrection life. Jesus showed us that the empty, filled by his love and his life, becomes beautiful. So now he calls us to empty ourselves over and over, to be filled with a love that overflows, to fill our brothers and sisters, to fill dark places with bright hope, to fill death with life, to fill grief with joy, to fill fear with peace, to replace an empty tomb with the hope of life in the name of Jesus. It's the beautiful empty. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's good to see you guys. My name's Jay. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Fellowship. We're glad that you are here this morning. That was a promo. We're going to show that this week and next week for our upcoming Easter uh, service called The Beautiful Empty. And so, uh, man, Easter is just right around the corner. Uh, we want to get you excited about that. You ought to be excited every day about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. But especially this time of year, uh, we get to celebrate that and uh, the world has to kind of take notice of, of what the resurrection really means. And so uh, we want you to take the next couple of weeks and invite people, invite people that are your friends, your neighbors, family members that need to be here uh, to hear about the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, we got a great day planned on Easter. You don't want to miss it. I, I promise you that. And so, uh, again, thank you for being here this morning. If you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. Uh, there's a connection card in the seat back right in front of you. 
And uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to receive our offering. But if you wouldn't mind to fill that out, share as much information as you're comfortable sharing. And uh, we would just like to say thank you for being here. And uh, we really appreciate uh, the opportunity to minister to you. And uh, it's a privilege to have you here with us uh, this morning. Okay, and then by way of announcements, uh, all of our announcements are on our church app. And so if you'll grab that real quick. If you don't have that installed, you can just download Community Fellowship Baptist Church from the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. And uh, just a couple of things, upcoming events-wise, that I want to keep in front of us uh, as far as announcements. Of course, uh, today, uh, this afternoon, we have a, a baby shower for Mary Lynn uh, at Tammy Capasso's house that starts at 2 o'clock. And so the information uh, for that is on your church app. And then on April 7th, that's the, the Friday right before Easter, uh, we have our next evangelism workshop. And so uh, that, that's Chris Kane is leading that. And... Uh, man, come and be a part of learning how to share the gospel, uh, share your testimony and share the gospel. We do that every couple of weeks on a Friday night. And so if you can't make one Friday night, man, just make plans to come when you can. Open invite to anyone that wants to come. Uh, so Easter's coming up. Traditionally, uh, we have an event called Egapalooza right before Easter, on Saturday, the Saturday before Easter Sunday. And Egapalooza is just a community-wide uh, festival, so to speak. Uh, we have like Yesterday morning, we, we stuffed 2,000-plus eggs full of candy. And so my office smells like a sugar factory uh, right now because all of those eggs are in my office. If you need to come taste test, you can. I mean, you can grab a random egg and just see what's going on. And uh, this year, I said any, any, candy, any candy is green light, so we do have chocolate in some of those eggs. I'm just saying right now. In the past, uh, chocolate doesn't work good in Easter eggs because of the sun and melting but it ain't Easter yet, and so they work really good in my office. And so I'm just, I'm just saying, if you need to come in and grab an egg and pray for the kids while you're at it, that's fine. Okay, uh, so Eggapalooza is coming up. Uh, we sh you should have got an email. If you're on our, our email list, uh, you should have got an email or a text message to sign up to serve on Eggapalooza. So we really need your help. Uh, it's just a couple of hours on Saturday. Serving doesn't mean that your family can't participate. We want you to do both. I want you to come and be a part of the event, but we also want you to serve uh, for a slot of time, whether that's uh, serving food or, or managing an inflatable uh, or just helping put the eggs out and things like that. So uh, that sign-up sheet will go out again probably this week just as a reminder uh, to make sure you register to serve, okay? And then Easter Sunday is coming up in a couple of weeks, two Sundays from now. Really, really excited about that. And then lastly, in your, in your events, uh, student camp. Is the dates are locked in for, for our Living Faith Fellowship Student Camp, uh, June 26th through June 30th. So that's a Monday through Friday, and we got updated cost. Uh, this year, camp is 300 bucks. It's a little more than last year, uh, but everything's more, more expensive this year. And so, uh, and this, this camp is open for sixth grade through 12th grade. So even if you're graduating and you're a senior, uh, and, but you're, this is it, you're out the door, you can still go to camp. If you're in sixth grade this year and finishing sixth grade, you can go to camp. Uh, this year, they're actually going to have high school and middle school uh, on separate parts of the camp, and then they'll come together at night for the corporate uh, worship service. So it's going to be really cool because there's going to be an independent uh, middle school camp going on and an independent high school camp, and it's going to be really, really good. So uh, parents, that means if you want your kid to go to camp, uh, we need to get you registered uh, sooner rather than later. When you register, it's going to ask for payment. It's also going to ask for t-shirt size. 
uh, and that's so that we can get uh, the orders in uh, for all the t-shirts. And so uh, if you're interested in serving as a chaperone or a leader, uh, then you need to reach out to Josh Hammond. Josh leads our, our students, and so Josh is right over here uh, in the corner playing the cajon this morning. And so see Josh if you're interested in serving uh, as, a, as a chaperone. Some of you parents would be like, no, nah, man, I ain't serving. I'm sending my kid to camp. What are you talking about? And so <laughs> And so that's cool too, uh, 300 bucks for, you know, your kids to go to camp and learn about Jesus and you and your, your spouse to have a wonderful week of vacation, whatever. Uh, however it works out in your home, right? Okay, so it's going to be a really good camp. I think, I don't want to misspeak, is it Brandon Briscoe that's preaching camp? I'm not 100%, yeah. I, the rumor has it uh, that Brandon Briscoe may be the speaker for camp, uh, the guy that, that is at Midtown that also runs uh, the Postscript uh, podcast on YouTube. So uh, whoever it is, man, they're going to do a great job teaching the Word of God. So uh, those are the events uh, that are coming up uh, this, this morning. So make sure you take advantage of all those different things, all right? So I'm going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to go ahead and receive our offering. Let me pray for that. And then I want to give you a quick update on one of our missionaries that we support, uh, Arion and Yonita Vogley. Uh, and so let me pray for our offering, and then I'll intro... Uh, video that we have concerning their ministry. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for, uh, man, your great grace that's greater than all of our sin. Thank you so much, God, that we can uh, just be reminded of what your word says about you and your sufficiency, and, and just thank you for your forgiveness in Christ. And uh, Lord, bless this offering. I pray for those that, uh, Lord, that are guests today. God, I hope they enjoy, uh, Lord, the service and that you speak to them. For our church family, God, build us up, grow us to be more like Christ, and thank you that we can give back to you. Uh, Lord, we, when we give, it just, it just reflects your character and nature through our life because you gave, you gave Christ to us. And so, uh, Lord, thank you for that. Bless the offering. I pray that you, you minister uh, not only to our church, church local body, but also around the world uh, through the tithes and offerings of this church. We love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as these guys are, are receiving the offering, real quick, I want to give you an update on the Albania Bible Project. And so we have uh, some missionaries that we support, Arion and Yonita Vogli. Uh, they are Albanian uh, by nationality. Uh, many years ago, we had a missionary from my home church, Decatur Baptist Church, that went into the country of Albania as soon as communism fell. And he began sharing the gospel and, uh, and just winning people to Christ and then discipling them. And through his faithfulness and through God's faithfulness, a church was planted in Tirana, Albania. And so two people that are, are, are part of the fruit of his ministry is Arion and Yonita Vogli. And so they were one to Christ as, as young adults. Uh, they were discipled there. They came to the United States to finish college. And uh, Yonita worked, uh, or excuse me, uh, got a degree in uh, theater. And so she actually is, is like very well uh, proclaimed, so to speak, in the, in the area of drama and theater, uh, both internationally in Albania and here in the U.S., Arion got a degree in software engineering, and both are fantastic students of God's Word. Uh, one of the things that God has laid on their heart is for their home country of Albania, they don't have a good version of the Bible. As a matter of fact, what they have, um, they'll, they'll, they'll share a little bit of this in the video, but they were burdened that they needed a more accurate translation. And so they began praying about, hey man, it would be really cool if God would would, 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 would give our country a, a, a correct version of the Bible, and they just began writing things down, like, what would it take to do that, never thinking that they themselves would be a part of that, that ministry, but they were thinking about, these are the things that, if someone was going to do that, 
here's the things they probably need to consider. And as they began <laughs> making that list and praying over that and praying for the need in Albania, well, God impressed upon their hearts that actually he had trained and prepared them to actually be a part of that process. And so this morning, there's about a six-minute video that's going to highlight the Albanian Bible Project. Uh, the voiceover is Arion Vogli, uh, who is uh, obviously the husband uh, of, of Yonita, and he's going to share a little bit about what they're doing and how we can pray for them as a church. And so I'm going to ask Derek to, to show the video. Albania is a small country located in southeast Europe, north of Greece, and east of Italy. It has an ancient and rich history. Because of the geographical position, Albania has been a battleground for other nations' wars and ambitions. During the reign of the Catholic Roman Empire, Albania was often the borderline of clashing point of influence between the Western and the Eastern Church rule. The majority of the Southern Albanian territories were primarily under the Byzantine rule, while the Northern territories opted for the Latin Church rule. Since the 15th century, for 500 years, Albania was ruled by the Ottoman Empire, which destroyed and suppressed anything that had to do with the Albanian heritage, art, language, faith, and literature. Following the independence from the Ottoman Empire in 1912, Albania was once again ravaged by World War I and World War II. After World War II, a 50-year communist regime was established under which faith in God was outlawed, and once again the country was in spiritual darkness. Since the early 90s, after missionary Jeff Bartel established the first Bible-believing Baptist church in the country, we have yearned for an accurate translation to read and study the scriptures in Albania. After much prayer and consideration, the Lord opened the door for us to start this new project two years ago with a clear vision. God's holy word and his pure words in the Albanian language for Albanian souls. So the full Old Testament and New Testament Bible was translated for the first time in 1994, a work which was done in haste to provide the new born-again believers with a new Bible. Our approach in translation is to pay attention and weigh every word of God in order to maintain the consistency of how God has used individual words in the Bible, we began working at the word level instead of immediately jumping into the text. We compiled a list of all the individual words in the KJV and work one word at a time. We look up each word to see where it appears in the Bible, how God has used it, what is the context for each reference, before we make a determination of how that word will be translated. We also categorize each word in any of the 400 plus categories of things the scripture talks about, which gives us the ability to build detailed search and study tools. Alongside the translation and categorization of each word, we also provide a dictionary definition. During communism, many words changed their meaning based on communist propaganda, so providing a detailed definition based on the Bible is as much of an important task. We also organize word trees, which are collections of words that go together by topic, idea, objects, properties. These will be integrated in our website for additional study tools. Here are some examples of different trees. This contains everything that's related to the human body. It's uh, the longest tree, contains most words, so it's a good study 
for those that are interested to see what the Bible says about it. Here's another one. It's all the words that have to do with division, debate, debate, disputations, opposition, and so forth. And here's a joyous one. Joy, everything that's related to joy in the Bible. We also keep track of all the statistics of how we're progressing for each letter of the alphabet, the number of words that begin with that letter, and where we are in the process. So currently we're at 60% of all the words, 12,531 words altogether. This is a first draft of the website where everything comes together. On the left is the Bible text, the translation, and on the right is different various, various tools. Uh, this is a dictionary, for instance, where we compile a list of things that are beneficiary for a particular word where people look up. For instance, this one, you can see re related words. We also find, include a list of resources, which people then, this is just a test one, but the real website will have a list of resources by Albanian pastors when people search for a particular word. You can line up Bibles side by side. Here's the Albanian one, the KJV, the Valera, and the Diodati, Italian one after that. Albanians in particular are very fond of languages, unlike others. Okay, so we give that option for them to compare side by side. Here's our search tools, which are in the beginning. Here's, for instance, if you want to search by categories, you can pick what categories you want to search for. You can pick the range of books you're interested in, and then you can see the results. So this is just the, the first draft, and then as work progresses, uh, we're excited about how God is going to use this work. All right, so that gives you a little bit of kind of overview of what they're doing. What, what they're doing is taking the individual words of the Bible, of an English Bible, and then saying, okay, let's, let's trust God to get an Albanian equivalent and which Albanian word is the direct equivalent to, an, to the English word. And that comes from a faith-based position of God's word. In other words, they believe, like we believe, that every word of God is pure. We believe that every word of God has been perfectly preserved in the English language. And you may be asking, why aren't they going back to a Greek manuscript or a Hebrew manuscript? Um, there's a reason why they don't go back to those manuscripts. Uh, because every word of God is pure, pure and it's been preserved perfectly. And so when you have a perfect product, you can start from a perfect piece and then look at the individual words and make the translation accordingly. And so their process is, is unique. It is absolutely uh, going to be transformational for the Albanian people. The reality is what Arion is developing actually is a tool that now other languages can use to get the Bible into their language. And so the, the, the ramifications of their work is we don't even know. We can't even understand how big this is going to be. Uh, it, their, their prayer is to finish the Bible 
but then included with that is going to be a dictionary as well as a concordance. And, and if you're a student of the Bible and you see some of the functionality, like, hey, you type in a word and then all of a sudden all these connected things pop up with it, it's like, oh my goodness. And so we've already asked, is that going to be available in English? And when can we get our hands on it? <laughs> and so uh, because they're pulling from the English text, uh, all of those resources are also going to be available in English as well. And so, uh, man, by God's grace, uh, it's going to be amazing. So uh, you heard him say they were about 60% on the words. What they're doing is, is every word is being reconciled by a team of Albanians and American uh, pastors. Uh, Yonita is actually a linguist specialist. Uh, Arion is the software guy, and they're both amazing at language, but Yonita is absolutely, I forgot how many languages she speaks, more than me. So that's more than one. Okay, so, yeah. And I don't even speak the one well. Uh, and so they also have Albanian pastors that are helping, uh, helping identify and correctly uh, translate these words back into Albanian. And so it's going to be amazing. So their goal is by the end of this year to be finished with all the words. And then after that, they think that it's going to take about a year or maybe a year and a half to assemble uh, the Bible back from the words as, as they plug that back into uh, the software uh, and render the, the proper tenses on the verbs and all the different things, they think it's going to take another year, year and a half. And so uh, they've already been working for quite a good while. Uh, one thing that we can pray for them for is Arion just had his second uh, total hip replacement. And so he has a, a spinal condition that, that's pretty debil debilitating. He also has uh, major hip issues. He had a hip surgery, I think, uh, eight weeks ago. He had a second surgery like two weeks ago. Both were total hips. And so uh, we need to pray for, for him, just for the physical strength that he needs. Uh, pray for their family, for spiritual protection. Pray for Yonita uh, as she helps Arion and also helps with their kids. And so, uh, and then just pray for the Albanian people, you know. Uh, man, it is a blessing to have an accurate translation of God's Word in, in your language. And, and, and not every person on this planet is afforded that. And so we need to value what, what we have, we need to be thankful for what we have, and we need to trust God to give other people accuracy in the scriptures. Again, what they have is, is okay, but it's not 100% accurate in their translation. If you didn't hear, that first translation was done in 1994, and it was done in haste because a lot of people were getting saved, and so it was like, man, we got to give them something. And so that translation was, was done in haste, but it wasn't 100% accurate. And so now they're, they're building upon that work to get a better, uh, accurate translation. And so let's just pray for them. Let's pray for the ministry and for their family. And then, uh, and then we'll get into the Word of God ourselves today. So let's pray for them and their ministry. Father, thank you so much, God, for, uh, Lord, your, your amazing work through the Vogleys. Um, man, it, it's awesome to see how, Lord, you're faithful to your Word. And God, how people that are faithful to you, you can use them even beyond what they can even imagine. Thank you. Uh, Lord, that you've burdened them and you've given them the skills and other people the skills to do what they're doing. And uh, Lord, I know it's a, a fearful thing uh, to come to your word and, and, and to even attempt uh, to move it uh, by your grace from a language to another language. Uh, but Lord, you've used people throughout history to do that. God, you've translated it. Uh, God, you've moved it from one place to another, one language to another, and you haven't lost anything. And so Lord, we trust you to do that again. For the Albanian people, we pray for, for the protection uh, that that family needs spiritually. We pray for the encouragement they need. We pray for Arion's health, Lord, that you would just, in his body, give him strength, God, uh, to recover from the surgeries. And uh, Lord, for Yonita, for the kids, Lord, I pray for just abundant grace in their life. 
And uh, man, we, we pray for the Albanian people, uh, God, that are, that are hungry for your word. Uh, Lord, would you, would you give them what they need so that the, the body of Christ can be edified and can grow and can be perfectly formed into the image of Christ, God, through their work. God bless them. Uh, thank you for the privilege of partnering with them. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, if you've got a Bible this morning, Revelation chapter 6. And uh, man, I'm glad to be back home. Uh, I've been traveling a couple of weeks in Florida and uh, Georgia, visiting a couple of churches and friends, and I'm, I'm just glad to be back. And so, man, it's good to see all of your smiling faces. Seriously, there's no place like home. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be back in Revelation 6. We actually are in this uh, part of Revelation where, where these seven seals are being opened in chapter 6. And, and let me just cover the groundwork of, of where we've been through the book of Revelation very quick. Maybe you're, you're, you're joining us uh, newer to our series in Revelation. Chapter 1 in the book of Revelation is, is the introduction as John uh, receives this revelation from Jesus Christ. Uh, this entire thing is the revelation of Christ. It's about Him. It's about His coming kingdom in chapters 2 and 3, we, we studied there were seven letters written to seven churches. And, and John's perspective in the book of Revelation is the key to understanding it. Remember in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And, and so he's writing the things that he has seen in the past, that he is seeing, and that he's going to see in the future. Now, we made this statement early in the the series of Revelation. I want to make it again. I don't want to mess anybody up this morning. But listen, doctrinally, those seven churches that are written to in Revelation 2 and 3 point to seven churches that are going to appear in the tribulation period. And you say, wait a second, I thought the church doesn't go through the tribulation period. This body of Christ will not go through the tribulation period. But after the rapture of the church, and in the tribulation period, there will be a group of people called a church, just like God called Israel in the wilderness a church. Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, Christ talking about, or excuse me, uh, Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, Stephen is preaching. He's talking about Israel in the Old Testament. He says, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. And so that group of people that, that escaped Egypt through the Passover God called them a church. And listen, they weren't saved like you and I. They weren't spirit-filled like you and I. They weren't the body of Christ. And they weren't bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet, God called them a church. So I just want you to know that in the future, there will be a group of people called a church. And listen, they're not going to be you. It's not going to be the bride of Christ. And yet, they will show up in the tribulation period. And maybe you struggle with that concept a little bit. And you say, man, there's only one church. But listen, you're going to have a hard time in the Bible because guess what? There's more than one baptism in the Bible. There's not just one baptism. There's more than one baptism in the Bible. There's actually more than one gospel in the Bible. And before you get mad and throw stones, you need to understand that there's the gospel of the grace of God. But there's also the gospel of God's kingdom for the Jew, the kingdom of heaven. That's a different gospel. There's more than one people group in the Bible. And listen, if we're lazy students of God's word, you will never understand the difference between those things. And so we want to be good stewards of God's word. There will be a group of people doctrinally called a church in the tribulation period. 
But devotionally, we looked at all seven of those churches and we said, you know what? We can see a cool snapshot of church history in the New Testament through those seven churches. That those seven churches actually portray for, the, for us the entirety of the New Testament body of Christ. And there's things that we can glean from that devotionally as long as they don't violate Pauline epistle that were written to the seven New Testament churches in the New Testament. And, and by the way, it is coincidence that there were seven churches that, that God wrote to through the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And so now we have the Apostle John writing to seven churches, again, tribulation context. And so we saw that in chapters two and three. How are we doing? Everybody, everybody good? I know we're coming out of the gate hot. Chapters four and five describes for us in the book of Revelation what is happening in heaven. And as John is caught up in Revelation 4 and verse 1, he's before the throne of God. Everything in chapter 4 is described in relation to that throne. That throne is the key thing in this universe. It talks about one that sat upon the throne and round about the throne there were 24 elders and out of the throne there were lightnings and thunderings and, and before the throne there was a sea of glass and around the throne there were four beasts. And the throne of God is the most important thing in this universe. And chapter 4 re reveals to us that it is the central theme of heaven, and it ought to be the central theme of our life. And then in chapter 5, there was a search for one worthy to open this seven-sealed book. And remember, this search went out through heaven and earth and under, under the earth of, of, of who can open this book, who's worthy to open this book. And man, John tells us that nobody was found worthy. And then... In the midst of all that calamity, a lamb stood as he had been slain. And man, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one, the, the root of David is the one that has prevailed. And because he prevailed, he is worthy to loosen the seven seals of that book. And so, and so man, that, that's about the fastest review of Revelation chapters 1 through 5 that you're going to get. And that leads us to chapter 6, because in chapter 6... It describes for us what happens on the earth as those seals begin to be opened. And, and man, we got into this a couple of weeks ago. John is in the third heaven. Christ begins opening these seven seals. And what's happening on this earth literally is that time of tribulation. It, it's what the Bible calls in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, a time of trouble. It's what the Word of God tells us in Jeremiah 30, verses 7 to 9, the time of Jacob's trouble. And in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21, it's, it's the time that's called the Great Tribulation. And as a matter of fact, Matthew 24 and verse 21 says that, listen, that Great Tribulation, and when it happens, it says, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. It will be a time on this earth unlike any other time in history. No other time will be comparable to this time. Nothing before it has ever happened. Nothing after it will ever be as gruesome as what we're going to see happening in Revelation chapter 6. And so, and so we're, we're beginning to see Christ unfold those seals and we studied that first seal three weeks ago, and what we saw in Revelation 6 and verse 1, it says, it says, I saw the lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts said, come and see. 
And what he saw was this, this first uh, horse, this, this, the four horsemen, if you will, of the apocalypse, and not including Arn Anderson or Ric Flair. But yeah, I, know, I, was, I, was, I was pitching it to see if Hedden would jump on that. So, so we see this first horse is a white horse. And, and listen, this, four, this first beast announces this white horse. And, and I didn't spend the time three weeks ago. I should have, but just go back to Revelation 4 and verse 7. Those four beasts that are around the throne, each of those beasts announce one of these four horsemen. Very interesting. There's a connection. And if you go back to Revelation 4 and verse 7, the first beast around the throne was like a lion. And so, and so the invitation to John to come and see comes from that beast, the lion. And, and, and that, that pattern will follow suit all the way through these first four seals. Each of them will be announced by one of these unique beasts. And so the first one was a lion, as we'll see in just a minute. The second beast is like a calf, and he's going to announce the opening of this second seal. And, and remember, when we studied that white horse three weeks ago, because I know everybody remembers every detail, right, of that sermon. No, okay. Man, a lot of people get that dude on the white horse mixed up with somebody else. A lot of people, as a matter of fact, you may even have a Bible that, that references Revelation 6, 1 and 2. There may be even a cross-reference in your Bible that cross-references to Revelation 19 and verse 11. And the dude on that white horse in Revelation 19 is Jesus Christ. But listen, that, that guy in, in Revelation chapter 6 isn't Christ. And we saw some differences, right? That the dude in Revelation 6 has a bow, but he doesn't have any arrows. But Revelation 19, Christ has a sword. The guy in Revelation chapter 6 has a single crown, but Christ in Revelation 19 has many crowns. In Revelation 6, the rider of this horse is followed by death, hell, and famine, but Christ is followed by the armies of God. And so... And so what we said was, if we don't get the identity of this writer correct, we are going to have a misunderstanding of how to do ministry. Because some people think that the way that we accomplish the, the kingdom ministry is bring the kingdom in by conquering ourselves. And, and so we'll pursue things like social reform and political agendas to make the world right so that then Christ can come. Now, there are a couple of camps of people that, that believe in two different views of, of eschatology, if you will. One error in this context is called post-millennialism. And, and what that means is that when the world is fixed through the church, then Christ will return for his earthly reign. No, no offense, but we're not doing a really good job, by the way, if that's true. Uh, as a matter of fact, we should fire us if that's the case, because we are horrible. It ain't getting better, it's getting worse. Another view of that is, is what's called amillennialism, where, where people don't even believe in a literal return of Christ, that it's all symbolic. And, and so listen, here's what we said a couple of weeks ago. This sets us up for this morning. That white horse rider is none other than a false Christ. He, he is the Antichrist. He's powered by the Antichrist. He is the greatest counterfeiter of Christ that there is. He's a lot like Christ, and yet he's not Christ. And he comes into this kingdom with an offer of peace. 
And he assumes the authority over the world through policy and power. And so this morning, we want to pick it up in Revelation 6 and verse 3, okay? And that's all introduction and review. So let's, let's get into the text this morning. Revelation 6 and verse 3, it says this. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was what? That was red. And power was given to him that sat thereupon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And so just very quickly in your notes, number one, I want to show you the invitation for John to come and see came from the second beast. And again, that second beast is likened unto a calf. You go back to Revelation 4. And verse 7, the first beast is like a lion, the second beast is like a calf, and he's saying to John, come and see, remember it's Christ that is the one that's worthy to open the seals. So now the first seal has been opened, the white horse rider has come, and now the second seal is opened. And, and so let's, let's get some specifics about the second horse. The first thing that we learn is it's a red horse, okay, and words matter in the Bible. It's not a white horse, it's a red horse. And so when you study red through the Bible, it's very interesting. Now, now most of us would, in this room at least, well, it would be crimson, right? We, would, we wouldn't identify necessarily with red, but crimson, we would say, hey man, roll tide and all that good stuff. Okay, uh, what? All the... Okay, I, I know we got... I know we got... I'm going to pray for all y'all right now, okay? Well, so, so red is not symbolic of the crimson tide, but... Here's what it is symbolic of. Number one, when you study it, it is symbolic of blood, right? We all bleed red. And you can prove that from the Bible. 2 Kings 3 and verse 2, it says, They rose up early in the morning, and the sun shone upon the water, and the Moabites saw the water on, on the other side as red as blood. Now, blood's red. So, so you don't have to prove it by cutting yourself open. You can just trust God's word. God already, God already knows what's on the inside is red. Just know that this red horse rider, this red horse, is going to have something to do probably with bloodshed. And then, when you study red through the Bible, you see, secondly, it's symbolic and, and it's connected with wine or judgment. And, and, and so you get to Psalm 75 and verse 8, and it says, There's a hand, uh, for in the hand of the Lord there's a cup, and the wine is what? It's red, and it's full of mixture. And he poureth out the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. And, and man, when you study red wine in the Bible, it's connected to God's judgment that's poured out. It's without mixture. It is of full strength. And man, it, it is symbolic or representative of judgment. And that's what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 6. We're seeing God's judgment being poured out on this earth. Number three, we, we see that red is connected with Satan himself. In Revelation 12 and verse 3, it says, There appeared uh, another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great, what color dragon? Red dragon. You say, well, that's just coincidence. No, it ain't coincidence. Man, every word of God is pure. And God's trying to show you something through the color of red. This red dragon had seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And and then lastly, we see that, that, man, red is connected with the second advent or the second coming of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew 16, when Jesus has this conversation with the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, they, they were tempting him, saying, hey, show us a sign from heaven. 
And he answered and said, hey, when it's evening, ye say it will be fair weather for the sky is what? Red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red. And in the morning, yeah, for, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the sign of the times? And listen, you've heard this statement. I think you've heard this statement. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning, right? And so a red sunrise in our context means, hey, there's high pressure system. Good weather has already passed. And so, and so there's a storm coming with a red sky in the morning. And man, let me, let me just tell you, there, there is going to be a red sky in the morning at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because it will be a time of trouble. It will be a time of judgment upon this earth. And so, and so man, th this red horse is symbolic of a, coming, of a coming judgment, of coming bloodshed. As a matter of fact, we see that in the second point. We see the power of the rider of this red horse because it says power was given to him that sat thereupon to take peace from the earth. Okay, now that's very interesting. Okay, remember the white horse rider came to conquer and conquering. And he does that, and we'll see it again in Daniel chapter 8, but he does that through peace. And yet, when this rider comes, he takes peace from the earth. Okay, so, so we're talking about the tribulation period after the rapture of the church. Let me give you a few things that will help you. The first key is this, peace must be in place before it can be taken. Peace must be in place before it can be taken. Now, we studied a, a, a really weird passage, and I don't think I have it on the screen, but Deuteronomy chapter, uh, excuse me, Daniel chapter 8. Um, do I have that one, Derek? I don't think I have that one. I do have it. Daniel chapter 8. Look at verses 23 to 25. Concerning the Antichrist, right? He says, In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and holy people. And through his policy, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart, listen, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And, and, and can I just tell you that the Antichrist, when he shows up on this earth, he will assume authority and rule by peace. He will appear as a friend, but be nothing more than an enemy. And, and so what we're seeing in Revelation 6, doctrinally, is a false peace offered by a false Christ during the tribulation period. And can I just tell you that that peace is temporal. It ain't going to last. But man, listen, there's a lot of people that are going to want that. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people that are going to buy into that. I mean, it even Daniel 8 and many other passages show us that it's going to be through power and through policy that peace comes. But then he's going to take it away. And then comes destruction. And this is a false peace. And let me tell you why this is a false peace. Because the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, isn't the one bringing the peace. 
He's not ruling and reigning on his throne in Jerusalem. And listen, anything other than that and peace from him is a false peace. It's a false peace. And so listen, you say, well, I remember in the Gospels, man, when Jesus Christ showed up on the earth, it said that there was peace on earth. Uh, did it? Is that what it said? So let's look at it. Luke chapter 2, verse 14, because, you know, this is the, the whole Christmas thing, right? At his birth, it says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Is that what it says? It doesn't say peace on earth. It says on earth, peace. Well, that's different than peace on earth. Because peace on earth means that there's peace all over the earth. But on earth, there is a person of peace in the person of Jesus Christ. Now listen, if you think that there was peace on earth at Jesus Christ's first coming, you're going to have a really big problem when you get to the part of the Gospels where Herod kills every child two years old and under. Does that sound like peace on earth? But, 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 but peace is on earth? Jesus came, we have peace on earth. Wrong. On earth, you had peace because peace is a person. Listen, listen, peace is only available through the person of Christ and peace on earth won't be established till the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, Matthew chapter 10, and this isn't popular, but it's Bible. Verse 34 says this, Jesus himself says, think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I'm come not to send peace, but sword. I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and against his mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So doctrinally, what we're dealing with is a false peace set up by a false Christ in the tribulation period through power and policy. So, so let me make it practical for us. Devotionally, there is a false peace that the devil wants to offer you now. And can I just tell you, he's going to do it the same way. He, he's going to legislate it. It'll be through political power, religious power, policy, that he will offer peace. And can I just tell you, man, again, listen, this is hard to say, but most Christians in our culture have settled for a false sense of peace and safety in their life. We've made a, de a deal with the devil without even realizing it. Because our peace and safety comes from anything other than the person of Jesus Christ. It comes from a bank account. It comes from a job. It comes from health and wealth. It comes from status and relationships and hobbies and comforts. And man, listen, those things are a false peace in your life and mine. Can I tell you, just as guilty as, as Christians are lost people. Lost people have settled for a false sense of peace and safety in their life. Man, they're stuck in the devil's system and they don't even realize it. According to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, they're blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whatever it is that they think gives them peace, because it's a false peace, it'll be taken away. And the result of that will be death and destruction. 
And so you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, you have to ask yourself the question, where does my peace really come from? And listen, if it comes from you living in the United States of America, you need to get your nose in the Bible. Because if your peace and safety and comfort comes from your national identification with an earthly kingdom, well, all you've done is traded your peace that's available in Christ for peace that's available through the God of this world, a false Christ. And you somehow think that policy and power and government and rules can bring about peace. Let me tell you something, man. If that's you, 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 you're a closet amillennialist. That's what you are. You're a closet post-millennialist. You think that white horse in Revelation 6 is Jesus Christ. And you think that through conquering this world, through a socialist agenda or a social gospel, will somehow bring about peace. That's an error, biblically. And maybe you just haven't studied enough. And maybe, maybe you're just, again, a babe in Christ and learning these things. I'm just telling you, there's no peace available outside of the person of Christ that is true peace. And many a Christian are wrapped up in that mess. And again, man, we're saved as the day is long. But somehow we think a political agenda, we think rules, regulations, hobbies, relationships, we think those things are the things that ultimately are going to give us peace. And not according to the Word of God. Listen, Satan has a false peace available to you, even as a Christian. But God has a peace available to you that, by the way, can't be taken away. And so let me tell you about that peace, because that's the, that's the peace that we need in our life. Number one, God's peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. You say, man, I know that. Do you? Do you know that? Because when you don't have the other stuff, do you still have peace? Let your house flood. Do you still have peace? Let your health tank. Do you still have peace? Let your car break down. Let your relationships fail. Let your bank account dwindle. Let your medicine run out. Hello? Do you still have peace? Listen, peace is in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Revelation 1 and verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be to you, and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And man, listen, as Christians, many times we buy into a false system of peace through a false Christ, the God of this world, and it's proven because when we lose all of those things, the reality is we don't have peace. Peace is in the person of Jesus Christ. Number two, peace is a product of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, that the fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, 
There is no law. And can I just tell you, just like the devil can't take Christ from you, he can't take the Holy Spirit from you. Now, what that means is that peace in the person of Christ and peace through the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life can never be taken away. It can never be taken away. Now listen, our flesh will make us walk in the flesh instead of walk in the Spirit. And if we yield to our flesh instead of walking in the Spirit, we won't have peace. But it's not because it's not available. It's not because it's not available, man. I'm thankful, man. These dudes in Revelation 6, they're kind of hosed because the peace they have is the wrong peace. And just like the devil gave it to them, he can take it away. Well, not for us. And now, devotionally, you can have a peace that's eternal. Number three, God's peace is found in God's principles. God's peace is found in God's principles. And I love this verse, man. Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I'm, I'm telling you that not only is peace available for you and I as Christians, but great peace is available. I mean, peace is good, but great peace is better. It's kind of like, you don't, do you want a donut or do you want a great donut? I'll take the great donut. I mean, it just sounds better. And listen, there is something about peace that comes from God's word. When you love that book, man, when you love that book so much, God is able through his words and through your love for those words to have great peace. And it's powerful. And I always wonder, man, in my life, like when I'm struggling to have a settled heart and a settled mind and a settled conscience before the Lord and before anybody else, man, I always go back to, man, it, it, ugh, how's my time in God's word? Is it the love? Is it the love of my life? And if it is, man, God will give through it great peace in my life. Number, number four is this, God's peace should rule in our life. Colossians 3 and verse 15. Okay, so we know it comes from a person. We know it comes from the Holy Spirit. We know it comes from God's word, but we got to do something with it. We got to let it rule. Okay, Colossians 3 and verse 15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And so that means that, that we have a choice. We as Christians have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Otherwise, something else is going to rule. It could be my feelings, it could be my emotions, it could be uh, my, my worldview, my interpretation of, of the things happening. No, we have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And if we're not careful, if God's peace isn't ruling, we actually open ourselves up to that false peace again that the devil offers. And man, that's satanic in nature. And man, that's the peace that can be taken from us. God's peace isn't like that. God's peace ought to be able to rule in our heart. And then, and then lastly, if we let that happen, God's peace will keep us. Philippians 4 and verse 7. And I love this verse, man. It says, The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay, so, so again, it's a person. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's through God's Word. When we let God's peace rule in our hearts, man, it will actually keep us. And, and it passes all understanding. And, and can I just tell you, like as a Christian, you don't have to understand everything. And don't take offense to that statement. You don't have to understand everything. 
You don't have to have all the intricacies of your situation, your life, your ministry worked out. You don't have to, under, by the way, you won't understand everything. But there's a peace available that passes all understanding. And so, you know, God warns us in Proverbs 3 and verse 5 that we shouldn't lean unto our own understanding, right? And we need to trust God with all of our heart. Trust in the Lord with all, of, all thine heart. Lean not to thy own understanding. And man, the problem is for us, man, when we get our nose out of this book and we put it in front of a screen and God knows what we're allowing to come into our life, man, the devil's wisdom and natural man's wisdom begins to take precedence over the word of God. And man, it gives us a false sense of peace. We have no problem that God's spirit and God's word can't speak to. There's no problem in my life or yours that God doesn't have a solution and offer peace through his word and through his spirit. But man, we got to comprehend scripture, not make up compensation strategies in our life, right? We have to have a peace that passes all understanding. And so, man, it's available to us. And, and can I just tell you, the devil can't take it away. As a child of God, we can give it away. But man, the devil can never take it. He can never take it. All right, let's get back to the text so we can get done because you're not listening fast enough. Look at, so, so this, this red horse rider was given power to take peace from the earth. And, and, and immediately you think, hey man, it's the devil that's allowing that. And that is true. But you need to also know that there's a higher power than even the devil. And that is God. And so the power to take peace was allowed and permissed by God himself. Revelation, excuse me, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 tells us, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of who? Satan? There's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And can I just tell you, you read about Revelation 6 and you read about the tribulation and you think, man, that's hell on earth. Did somehow God get kicked off the throne? No. He's still in full control. As a matter of fact, it's God that allows it and permits it to happen. He, he allows this Antichrist to begin to unleash this worldwide conquering and terror upon the earth. But make no mistake, God is still in control. Matthew 28, verse 18, Christ said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And so listen, if he's allowed the devil to have time for a season, just know that he's still the greatest authority. He has the greatest power. Luke chapter, chapter 4 and verse 6, right? You remember this passage? This is right after Christ's baptism. And then, and then the Lord was tempted by the devil uh, in the wilderness, in the desert. And, and one of the offers that the devil makes Christ is, is the offer of kingdoms and authority and power. The devil said to him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them. Check this out. For that is delivered unto me. And by the way, that statement proves the devil's not all-powerful. Because even the power that he has had to be given to him, and God allowed it. God permissed it. God, God made it permissible. And so, and so as the devil unleashes this, this rule and reign and dominance on the earth, just know that he's only operating under the ultimate authority that is God's. Now, Here's where it gets weird. That, that first horse brings in peace through conquer, conquering through peace. And now this peace is taken off the earth. 
How much time between that first and second seal being open? I don't know. Some people say three and a half years. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. If you believe in a seven-year tribulation, maybe, maybe that's right. Okay. Point number three, let me, let me get quickly done. The persuasion of the rider of the red horse. So not only does he have power to take peace, but number three, he persuades men to kill one another. Look what it says. And that they should kill one another. And the they in that verse is those that are on the earth. He's going to cause the peace from this earth to be taken, and he's going to cause those that are on the earth to kill one another. Now, now in your notes, mankind, here's the key, has been killing one another ever since Cain. So that's nothing new, unfortunately. All the way back in Genesis, Cain slew his brother Abel. That's confirmed in 1 John 3 and verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. John chapter 8 and verse 44 says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And listen, again, uh, we had a lot of, I got a lot of notes, we don't have time, but, but can I just tell you, that's no new thing. But unfortunately, in this time, in this time of tribulation, and here's the second key in your notes, during the tribulation, mankind will kill one another like no other time in history. And, and listen, if you've studied history, there's been some wicked dudes through history. I mean, history is full of wicked men that have been responsible for the deaths of not dozens, not hundreds, not thousands, but millions of people. And you got, you got guys like Adolf Hitler, right? And, and history estimates that he was responsible for, for roughly 17 million deaths. You got, you got guys like Joseph Stalin, who was responsible for, for estimates, say, around 23 million deaths through policy, through, through, through policy that caused massive starvation and famine to the Soviet Ukraines. And, and man, there's a whole lot of other things. He, he instituted this initiative called the Great Purge or the Great Terror, and it was a paranoia campaign, and it basically killed off anyone that opposed him and any of his political targets, 23 million people. And then you have a, a Chinese revolutionary, and I'll, I'll butcher the name, but Mao Zedong, who, who history tells us was responsible for 49 to 78 million deaths. Man, we can't even fathom that. I can't fathom that. And yet, as wicked and evil as these men were, they're not going to hold a candle to the Antichrist and how he's going to decimate the world's population through the tribulation period. It's going to be wicked, man. Because, because, because sinful man, and it's just, he plays right into the hands of the devil. And where, where now there would be restraint and, and conviction and morality, well, man, that tribulation period, the Bible tells us it's going to look a lot like the days of Noah. If you go to Matthew 24, verses 37 to 38, we'll do it quickly. But man, God gives us a little bit of a snapshot of what that coming tribulation is going to look like leading up to the second coming of Christ. He says, as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And and so God makes this connection all the way back to Genesis, and he says, hey, listen, if you want to, 
You want to know what it's going to look like right before Christ comes? Go study the days of Noah. And maybe you read that verse and you say, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, people are eating and drinking, they're marrying, they're giving in marriage, and we're doing that today. You need to do a deep dive back into Genesis 6. And I got it on the screen because we don't have time, but, but can you look at verses 10 to 13 concerning the days of Noah? Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? Violence. And God looked upon the earth, behold, it was corrupt, all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. I mean, listen, we got violence in our world today, no doubt. But in that time, the entire world is going to be violent. It will be corrupted, and it will be the recipient of God's judgment. And you don't want to be there, by the way. If you're on the fence about getting saved and receiving Christ as Lord and Savior for your sin and humbling yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ, just know that, that one, if you reject it now, you won't receive it then. And two, buddy, it ain't going to be anything like it is today then. It will be hell on earth, full of violence. It will be a war zone. And then, and then lastly, number four, the weapon of the rider of this red horse. It says there was given unto him a great sword. And again, man, if, if we were to just compare Scripture with Scripture, this red horse rider is again counterfeiting the incarnate Word of God, Jesus Christ. He's counterfeiting Christ, the incarnate Word of God, because he has a sword. Well, listen, Jesus Christ has a sword. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, in his right hand, he had seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. And again, Satan is the greatest counterfeiter of Christ there is. Revelation 19, verse 15, out of his mouth, Christ's mouth, goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He should rule them with a rod of iron. And so listen, doctrinally, what you see is this red horse rider mimicking Christ. He's a counterfeit. He's not real. And, and let me just make the devotional application for us today. Can I just tell you that, man, this false Christ is active today, and he still has a false sword today. He counterfeits the inscripturated word of God. In other words, the devil's greatest counterfeit is a corrupted Bible. It's a corrupted Bible. You say, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. Okay, well, you don't have to. But I'm telling you right now that, that the devil has counterfeited and corrupted God's word ever since the garden. Ever since the garden. And, and by the way, I believe that as he establishes this kingdom and he has this great sword because he's a man of not only political power, but of religious power, well, he'll probably have a Bible to unify the world. We'll probably have a Bible to unify the world with. But I'm just telling you, man, you can have a false sword. 2 Corinthians, 7 and verse 7, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 17, even in Paul's day, there were people that were corrupting God's word. He says, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. Even in the first century, Paul said many people were corrupting God's Word. 
And the same is true today. And, and if you don't see the motivation behind that as the devil himself, then, who's, then, then who is it? The, the devil is keenly interested in counterfeiting and corrupting Christ, even to his words. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that the devil has ministers, and he has ministers that appear as ministers of righteousness. And I don't, I don't want to get awkward this morning, but there are false swords, man. There are great swords that are not the true sword of the Word of God. There are counterfeit Bibles being preached by counterfeit preachers, sending people to hell by the droves. But in our Laodicean mentality, we don't want to cause a, a bump in the road. Bibles that won't teach salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's a false sword. It's a false Bible. But listen, Christian, you don't have to fall victim to a counterfeit sword or a counterfeit Christianity. You can have the certainty of the words of truth in an English Bible. And by the way, if you love it, it'll give you great peace. A peace that passes all understanding, a peace that can rule in your heart and mind as you submit to it. By, by the way, a peace that no one can take from you. But it all starts with knowing the Prince of Peace first. And so I'd ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you know the person of the Prince of Peace? In other words, what I'm asking specifically is, are you saved? You say, well, I'm coming to church. Coming to church ain't going to save you. Jesus Christ can. His shed blood on the cross is sufficient for your salvation. And so listen, if you don't know Christ, you need to start by knowing him. But for the Christians in the room, the second question is this, do you have peace? Or do you have a false peace based on worldly offerings, a false Christ, worldly power, worldly policy, political agenda? Or is it a peace based on the person of God that comes through the power of His Holy Spirit as you walk in the Spirit and walk in His words that give you peace? Where are you at, Christian? What do you have? Here's what I know, man. I dare say, I dare say it. Many Christians don't have it. Many Christians don't have it. Not saying they're not saved. Not saying they don't have a desire to know Christ. But man, as Christians, we have fallen susceptible to a false sense of peace and security that the devil has used in this life through this world system. And when all that mess gets stripped away, we don't have peace at all. It comes from knowing Christ, knowing His Word, and walking with Him, and walking in the Spirit. That is the only guarantee of peace that you're going to have in this life. Amen. All right, let's pray and just consider this. Morning. Father, we do, we do love you this morning, God. I thank you for your Word. I'm, Lord, I know that was a lot to, to cover, and I know I'm going over in time, but God, but God, we have to get this principle down. We've seen what will be one of the most horrific times in human history. And man, a false peace is given and then it's taken away. What seemed to be peace and safety now results in sudden destruction. 
And God, for us in this room, God, we, we want to have a clear heart before you. Maybe some of us in this room, number one, need to meet the Prince of Peace because we don't know Christ. And we're trying to get peace through a relationship. We're trying to get it through financial means. We're trying to get it through health, through wealth, through status in this world, through hobby. And the, the reality is we lay our head down every night with no peace. God, if there's someone lost here today, God, I pray that you stir in their heart to respond to the gospel. And for the saints of God in this place, Lord, help us to know peace is available. The life that we live, this life of pain and suffering in this world, God, it, it is what we are called to. We're called to suffer in this life. But as we're suffering, we can have complete, perfect peace that even passes all understanding because of what you've given us in Christ, what you've given us in your Holy Spirit, and what you've given us in your Word. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Let me just ask us to consider these things. Number one, if you're here today and you're saved, raise your hand as a testimony of the Lord and say, man, I know I'm saved. I know the Prince of Peace. Take your hand down. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? The truth is I don't have peace about my eternal standing before God in eternity. And today I need to come to the Prince of Peace. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Jay, I need you to pray for me. I need to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Anyone at all. We're not going to embarrass you, but, but I want to pray for you. Don't walk out of here without knowing that you're saved from your sin. Secondly, man, if you're a child of God in this place, and you would be honest and say, you know what, I know I'm saved. But the reality is I don't have peace. God's calling me to a closer relationship with him through his son, through his spirit, through his scripture. And I want to respond rightly to that. So that no matter what happens in my life, I have peace that passes all understanding. If I can pray for you this morning, and you'd be honest enough to own that, I would appreciate the privilege of praying for you. God bless you. Anyone else that would say, man, that's me, just raise your hand. Trust the Lord with it. Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Father, we need you this morning, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you that even in a horrible time of tribulation, God, you can bring truth that we need to hear today for our walk with you. God, we love you. You are the source of peace. Thank you that no one can take it away. We love you. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you very much.